This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, today we are kind of tying a knot and a bow on this series. If you're new here, we've uh, been working through a series we've called God's Design. Uh, really just asking questions of what is God's design when it comes to humanity, to our purpose, to our identity, why are we here? What is God's design when it comes to gender, to, to sexuality, to um, marriage or singleness? Um, it, everyone here ha- has no doubt heard I, a plethora of different voices and opinions and ways to think about all of these topics. Uh, and, and so we just wanted to ask, okay, what, is, what does God say? What, is, what, what does the Bible teach us? Um, and, and what is truth? Because we can even take what the Bible says and uh, and, and twist to those words to mean a number of different things, right? And so, okay, what is, what is God's, what does the whole Bible tell us uh, and, and teach us? And I hope that we've gained some biblical insight. I also hope that we've gained some freedom and courage to, to have the conversations, right? Because if we're not talking about it, we being the, the church and what God says, um, everyone else is, ad nauseum, right? And so um, we are being educated. We are learning a, a set of, of teaching when it comes to purpose and gender and sexuality and, and relationships, right? Um, and, and so if we are not openly talking about it, um, then, then we are taking an education from someone else. And so we just wanted to have that conversation. Um, and what we all know is that these topics affect every single one of us personally. Whether it's a wrestle and a struggle within our own heart, doubts and confusion within our own mind and in our own experiences, or it's someone that we love, a sister or a brother, a mom, a dad, a son, a daughter, a friend, a coworker, every single one of us is personally impacted by these topics of purpose and gender and sexuality and relate. Right? All of us, we've all experienced. Uh, a hesitation, a nervousness, a hurt, a pain, a divisiveness. It, it may, if you feel like I feel at times, just be overwhelming. It may feel hopeless. How do we even talk about it? Where, 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 where do we move forward? It, it may seem like, oh man, the lines have been drawn and there's just too much kindling already and it's about to explode if it hasn't already. And so we just wanted to conclude this series and, and look at the, the big picture, the grand story of, of Scripture, and, and really conclude with what is our hope. Because these, these conversations have been here from the beginning. They're not going anywhere. Right, right? If we're going to genuinely love people and walk in grace and truth, if we're going to be able to have honest conversations and then not be hostile and not, not lose a relationship over what what's our hope? How do we even have confidence that, that there is a positive resolution? Because I don't know about y'all, but I, I oftentimes feel incredibly hopeless with these conversations. Like there is no positive way to go about it. So, so what is our hope? How does it all fit in, and, and, and what is our hope? John 10, 10, we're going to be all over the scripture, right? So if you want to turn with me, awesome. If you want to like look up verses and references, um, if you're like, I don't know where this book of the Bible is, totally good. Um, table of contents in the front is your friend. Uh, if you just want to write them down on, on the note card and check them out later, right? We're going to be all over, because we want to get in the full picture of God's story why this matters to you and to me today. So John 10.10, 10, Jesus himself, the words of Jesus says, the thief has come only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, I've come that, that my purpose for humanity, my purpose for you, Jesus' purpose for you, not just John, not just the disciples, not just the, the New Testament audience, his purpose for you and me is that you would have life and have it abundantly. That word means like to the full and then some superfluous amount of abundance, right? God, God is for you. He's for your prosperity. It, you just have to make sure you're defining the word prosperity correctly. 
He's for you thriving in his presence. He's for you having the abundance of him in your life. And so we see this divide, this one of two options to, to go through life. God is for you, but on the flip side, there is an active enemy that wants to oppose you and to steal, kill, and destroy. Those are the words of Jesus. So, so how did we get here? Jude um, 1, 6. Uh, Jude, Jude may not be the most uh, commonly read book of the Bible. It's right before Revelation, so near the very end. It's a one-chapter book. So if you're like, man, I want to accomplish something. I want to read a whole book of the Bible. Jude's a great one. It's a, great, it's a half a page long. You can knock that out and be like, ha ha, nailed it, crushed it. So Jude, uh, it's also interesting, right, because you oftentimes give like the chapter and then the verse, but there's only one chapter. See, did you say like Jude verse 6, or do you say chapter 1? I guess you can still say chapter 1, but anyways, uh, Jude chapter 1 verse 6, it says the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains until gloomy darkness, until the judgment of the great day. Jude is writing about some point after the creation of angels, before Genesis 3, th there was a rebellion of angels against God. Th there was this angelic um, host, group of angels that did not want to submit to the glory of God, did not want to praise God, did not want to live life with God as king, but rather they wanted to ascend the throne themselves. They wanted to be at the top. They wanted to sit in the place of, of God. Lucifer, Satan, was the angel that led this rebellion. And so we talked, I mentioned last week how I, I finished finally, Stephanie and I finished the, the series and movie, The Last Kingdom on, on Netflix. I, I love the days of kings. Sometimes I think that I was supposed to have been born in the days of kings with swords and armor and horses. Um, I, don't, I don't know why that's, you're, that's giggling. I don't, I don't get that. I'm, I love swords and horses. I should have been born as a knight. I don't know. Um, but, but what you learn in that show and what really all of us know, even though I don't think we've lived in, under a kingdom, is... There's, there's one king. And, and as you're either the king or you have one of two options. If you're not the king, you can submit to the king or you can rebel against the king and try to overthrow the king, right? Those are your two options. Like, if you are not the king, then that's your one of two options is to submit to the king, all hail king whoever, or no, no, I want the throne, or I want someone else to have the throne, uh, and you're in rebellion to the king. And, and so what the Bible teaches is that Satan and this other group of angels did not want to submit as, to God as king. Instead, Satan wanted to ascend the throne and be king himself, and so they rebelled against God. It did not go well for them. Right? They, they were, they were uh, completely defeated and cast out of heaven, but his, Satan's attempt to destroy the glory of God didn't stop. Instead, he just shifted his focus. The focus of Satan to get at the throne of God is now to go after God's people. He, he wants to target God's creation. Right? If you want to go after me and you can't get to me, who do you go after? My family. Right? You, you go after those that are closest to me. Right? So Satan's uh, focus shifts. Since he can't get straight to the king, he's going to go after those that God created. And his agenda, Satan's agenda from the very beginning until today is to tempt and deceive humanity to join him in the rebellion. Satan's aim for your life is to tempt us and to deceive us that there is a better way than submitting to the king submitting to God. Embrace your own self. Embrace your own life. Embrace your freedom. You call the shots. No one tells you how to live. God doesn't tell you what to do with your body. God doesn't tell you who to be with. God doesn't tell you how to. You make your own choice. Rebel against God. That has been the temptation from the very beginning. Jesus says that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's his 
aim is to destroy the relationship that we were created to have with God by deceiving us to rebel and to live our own way. To attempt to be our own God. 1 Peter 5 says that the devil is, prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. We don't have to fear the devil, but, but we do need to know the Bible teaches that there is a, a force of darkness, that the devil leads a, a continued attempt to rebel against God. And his aim is to deceive us to join that. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. So if you want to turn to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, we see Satan bring that deception um, to humanity. To, to, to Adam and Eve. And so it starts in uh, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The word crafty doesn't mean like arts and crafts. Um, he's talking deceptive, right? manipulative. And the serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see, he comes in and he starts to whisper these, these manipulations, these half-truths. Right? The, the devil's attempt for you and me is not to get us to go from one to a hundred. He just wants to get us to go from one to two. Right? And then two to, to three. Because if, if I'm supposed to go that way and all I do is make a slight adjustment, right? Okay, it's not a big deal yet. But, but give it 10, 15, 20 years, and I wake up and I look around and I go, how did I get here? Right? How did that one slight adjustment, that one partial truth, that one slight manipulation, how, how did I get, how was everything destroyed? Right? Anyone else ever experience the, the destruction that Satan will, will lead us to just by one slight compromise? And so that's what he does. He comes in and he, he twists just slightly this deception, this manipulation of, of what is true. Hey, may, maybe God didn't really mean what you think he meant. Hey, perhaps, perhaps God, like, perhaps you really are free to make your own choices with your body. Perhaps you really do know what's best. I mean, you're living in 2023. This is archaic. Maybe, maybe you really can be in control of your own love life and not submit it to someone else. All right, it's not this huge jump. It's just a slight, like, let me consider. Well, let me consider. And and Eve responds to him in, in verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Eve responds to Satan. First rule of thumb when, when wanting to avoid evil is to not entertain it. Right? Eve did nothing wrong in Satan coming to her and, and tempting her. Eve did nothing wrong in him presenting a lie to her. Where Eve started drifting away is when she considered and started entertaining the idea in her mind. Corinthians, Paul tells us to take every thought captive to obedience. That, that we are to learn how to subdue the thoughts in our mind. That if this thought, if I play it out, doesn't result in obedience, we are to take it captive and to return to what is true in obedience. So the problem here for Eve, where she started to go awry, is she started to entertain a conversation with the devil. She started to entertain, like, oh, that little tree doesn't look so half bad. Maybe there's something here. Maybe it is okay if I date this person. I used to think this was a line not to cross, but maybe it is okay now. Like, maybe times have changed. Culture's different now. And she starts to entertain this conversation. One of my favorite proverbs is from chapter 6, verse 27. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? You're going to memorize something. Write that one down. 
Proverbs 6, 27, can a man carry fire close to his chest and, and his clothes not be burned? If you play with fire, you're going to get burned. That's why the Bible says to flee all, to flee youthful lust, to flee sin, to flee sexual immorality, right? Because if we start to entertain it, if we start to play with it, the, the odds are not great. And Eve is entertaining this conversation. She slightly twists truth. Again, it's not a massive leap, but it's a slight divergent to what is true. You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. Yes, God said that. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. God didn't say that you shouldn't touch it. He said don't eat of it. She's adding to what God says. She's, she's adjusting just slightly the truth of God's word. Satan responds in verse 4, Come on, you will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan sees that he's got Eve on the doorstep. Come on, we all know that doorstep. That place where we know, if I do this, I've crossed the line. If I do, if, I, if I'm, I mean, we're right there. I, I know the battle in my head. I know the temptation in my head. I know what the Bible has said. I, I, in my soul, I know what is true, but, and it's right there. He's got her right there. He says, oh, God's holding out on you. You see, God, God doesn't, God, he wants to keep you under his, under his thumb, under oppression. And if you eat of this, then he knows that, that you're going to have what he has. That's the, the lie of Satan. Embrace self. Reject God. Don't let God tell you how to live your life. Don't let anyone tell you how to feel, how to think, how to believe who you are. Embrace yourself. It looks good, do it. It feels good, go for it. Embrace yourself. That's the lie that the devil has given to her. And he's put it before her. And here's the crazy thing about this, this tree, this fruit that God said not to eat of. It was part of God's good creation. Right? This tree was in Eden when God looked back and said, it's all good, it's very good. It's not that the, the tree itself was bad. It's that, it's that having a relationship with God means to submit to and trust God. And so God gives them boundaries to live within. And that boundary was, hey, don't eat of this. This is for your own good. Come on, every parent knows this. Everyone who has a parent, that's all of us, right, knows this. Right, we're, we're 10 years old and we're like, I know what's best. I know how the world works. Let me make this choice. And every parent's like, you will blow your hand off. Right? I can hold the fireworks in my hand. No, no, that's not going to go well. Right? Boundaries are not God holding out from us. Boundaries are God putting us in the place where we're best able to thrive. Right? You have a boundary. Hey, don't go walk on 35. Like, don't do it. Why? Because you'll get run over. Don't tell me what to do. I'm just trying to help you live, man. <laughs> right? But, but the, the flesh inside of us, and, and that's what the devil, no, 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 don't let anybody tell you how to live. No, 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 you can make your own, you know what's best. You know you. No one knows you like you know you. You know how you feel. You know what's true. Discover yourself and be yourself. I mean, really, we just have to be honest with our own life and be like, good gracious, I did not know myself. You know? Like, if I would have embraced myself back then, I would probably be in jail. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I, can, I mean, I got my friends. I'm like, that's where they went. <laughs> Anyone else got that? Like, if I just embraced what I thought was best, I literally might not be here. Right, and so that's the temptation that, that Eve gives to, or, or Satan gives to Eve. Hey, this, this tree, it's, it's not bad. Why should God give you boundaries with it? Sex, it's not bad. 
why should we have any boundaries with it? You're, you're fulfilling success, achievement. Those things aren't bad. Why should there be any limits to that? Why should there be any guardrails to how you live? God's holding out on you. He, he's holding back. It says, and this is what happens in verse 6, right? This is what happens to all of us. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and then it was a delight to the eyes, right? She, she took her eyes off of God and started looking at the things around her. And it looked good. There was an appeal. There was an allure to it. And the, the logic wasn't all that crazy. She took her eyes off of God. She looked to the fruit, saw there was a delight to the eyes, desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Look, the two are one at this point. They're right there together. Let's not like, oh, it's all Eve's fault. No, they're both there. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew. They knew that they were naked. See, chapter 2 ended with they were naked and unashamed. They were free. They were vulnerable. There was no sin clouding their mind. There was no judgments. There was no embarrassments, right? It was perfect. And then all of a sudden, they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, this is the saddest phrase in the Bible to me, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Bible calls this sin. When, when humanity makes the choice to live for themselves rather than follow and trust God. When humanity decides, you know, I know best. This God, this king's not going to tell me how to live. Whether it's eating from a tree that God said not to, or doing with our body, which God said not to, or having relationships with people, sexual relationships that God said not to, right? W whatever it is, the, the Bible calls any thought motivation of the heart or action that is in opposition to obedience of God. The Bible calls that sin. And with the entrance of sin, it, it's like the, the very fabric of God's creation was pulled open and the poison of sin just infiltrated everything. Immediately shame and guilt come flooding in where there was never shame and guilt. Immediately they're hiding they're hiding from one another. They're covering up. They're hiding from God. They're running from, from the source of life itself. I've said this so many times. If there's ever anything you're like, I've got to hide this, that is straight from Genesis 3. Hiding did not exist until Genesis 3. Shame and guilt, anything we want to hide, didn't exist until Genesis 3. It is a work of the devil. And sin brings in this destruction Remember what Jesus say in John 10, 10? The thief has come to do what Genesis 3 did. To steal and kill and destroy from the fullness of life that God created us to have with him. Judges 21, 25 gives a great summary of the condition of humanity after Genesis 3. In those days, there was no king in Israel Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In those days, there was no king that they submitted to, either earthly king or heavenly king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. If there's not a phrase that I feel like describes our culture, either Luke 10, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled by many things, or everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Romans 5 says that from Adam and Eve, they passed down from generation to generation this propensity to sin, this sinful nature, that we're born with this nature within us, this desire to choose what is opposite of God. 
That's something we don't have to teach, right? Again, let's go back to, to children. I'm guessing parents, let's just assume everybody in here is a lovely set of parents, right? I'm guessing you're not teaching how, how to hit or, or bite or take what's not yours, right? That just kind of comes innately within humanity, right? I, I've said this before. I mean, wh what do newborns do? Nothing but take. Give me food. Give me your sleep. Give me your comfort, right? Like the, we're just born with this propensity to be inwardly focused, and Romans 5 says we get that from Adam and Eve who had this desire to choose and embrace self over God. And that's what has passed down to all of us. And, and the reason I'm bringing up this up is because this whole series that we've gone through, the choices of whether I'm going to, to choose my own identity, if I'm going to choose my own sexuality, I'm going to choose who or who not I get to marry, I'm going to choose what or what not is true, and we don't want to submit to God, this is the same thing that Eve and Adam had in Genesis 3. We stand on the doorstep, and we, we have to make the decision, will I embrace myself, or will I deny myself and trust and embrace God? That is the decision that happened in Genesis 3, and that is the decision we are faced with today. And everyone in our lives is faced with today. When it comes to these sensitive topics, to these personal topics, will I ultimately deny myself and instead choose to trust whatever it is God says? Even when I look at it and it appears good and there's a desire for knowledge and it seems right, will I dig my heels in and trust God? This is the, the story of Scripture. It is that from Genesis 3 on to you and me in, in Austin, Texas in 2023 and everyone around us, we have all followed the lead of Adam and Eve and we have chosen to embrace ourselves at some point in our lives. And the result we get for that, we just have to read Genesis, the rest of chapter 3 to see. We're separated from the presence of God. Adam and Eve had to be removed from the presence of God. God couldn't be in the presence of sin. God's holiness couldn't cohabitate, coexist with sin. But not only that, Adam and Eve had to be removed so that there could be a sacrifice in their place and they could eventually be restored. If they were never removed from the garden, they would have lived eternally separated from the presence of God unless that sin was resolved and settled and removed. Th this is our story. If, if this is true, if God is, is real, which, which I believe he is, I believe this is true, then that is our story. That's where we sit today in the same place that Adam and Eve set. So what's our hope? Are we doomed? Is our friends doomed, right? Is it just like, well, give up? I mean, that's how I feel sometimes. What's our hope this is where I want to spend the, the rest of our time is Colossians chapter 2. Our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our hope that there is a new day, that there is a better day, that we can be restored to right, right relationship with God, that the separation Adam and Eve experienced, the separation that you and I experienced, that's not the end of the story. Our hope is that there is an answer and a remedy and a savior who will come in and restore us to right relationship with God. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. We'll read through 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it, be alert, be aware that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. 
In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This, this is our hope. Our hope is that Jesus can remove our record of wrong against God and restore us to right relationship again. If you, if you look in verse 8, Paul, he urges, he encourages, he, he, he tells us to be alert that no one would take you captive by false teaching, by empty, deceitful thoughts. Right? That's, nothing's changed. Hey, be on the lookout. D don't be captive. Don't let, don't let your mind and your heart be captivated by something that's empty and deceitful and not true. I love the word, he uses the word captive here. We're all captive to something. Something or someone tells us how to live and what is true, and we are captive to that. Right, we may like to think we're free and we can do whatever, but we're really just captive to the thought that we're free and we can do whatever. And we're all captive to something that tells us this is the way, the truth, and the life. So Paul's question, my question for us, is what are you captivated by? Who or what controls you? Just take a second and answer that. Who tells you how to make your decisions? What tells you how to live? Is it your own logic? What makes sense to you? Is it the, the education and the experience and the professionalism of others? Right, your teachers, your mom, your dad, scientists, government officials? Is it spirituality? Is it God? We are all captive to some source of ultimate truth in our lives. And Paul says, be alert. Don't let empty and deceitful ways of thinking pull you astray. Don't, don't let someone come in and start to muddy the waters and start to incrementally manipulate you away from truth. Be alert. Be on guard. Rather, be captivated by Jesus. Don't be deceived by empty tradition and philosophy. R rather, be captive to Christ. Be, be submitted to the way of Jesus. That's how he ends verse 8. Don't let any other thinking or way of, of truth lead you astray. Only that which is according to Jesus. Only the way of Jesus. Only what Jesus says. Only live as Jesus did. So, we have to ask, and it's, it's a fair question. You, you deserve to ask it, why Jesus? Right? If the Bible's instructing us to not let anything else captivate us or tell us how to live or how to think or how to be except Jesus, why Jesus? That's a fair question to ask if we're going to give our whole lives to him. Why Jesus? Paul tells us, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily if there is a god which as i said i believe there is i believe there's one god it's the god that we we know of in the bible paul tells us jesus is that god jesus is the god of the bible in the flesh not like 50% god not 80% god not mostly god jesus is fully God. 
You read in the Bible, Old Testament, God is holy. God is just. God is slow to anger. God is compassionate. God, God is, you, you, so is Jesus. Jesus is God. He tells the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right, so, so why Jesus? Well, because Jesus, according to the Bible, is the one by whom all things have been created. You and me. Colossians 1 says all things have been created by him and for him. That he is before all things. That he, he was there then, he's there now, he's king now, he's alive now. That's why Jesus, he is God. He sees and knows all things. I mean, even science has had to change along the way. But even science has had to say, well, apparently the earth's not flat. Uh, well, apparently, like, Pluto's not a planet. You know, like, s science has had to adjust... Right? And so if we're putting ourselves, submitting ourselves to an authority uh, over everything, we want to we go to the top, don't we? Like we want to go to the, the top. He, he alone is God. The whole fullness of deity dwells in Jesus. That's why Jesus. Why, why else Jesus? Verse 10, you've been filled with in him, we'll come back to that, who is the head of all rule and authority. Let's go back to the last kingdom. Jesus is king. Jesus is the king. Jesus sits on the throne. Jesus gives the direction. Jesus gives the order. Jesus is the, the end all, be all. Now, if we live in a kingdom again, I can say, nope, I don't want to submit to that king. That's my choice. But I have to also acknowledge I'm at that point an enemy of the king. Right? The, the fact that I don't like whoever is king, the fact that I don't like whoever is president, doesn't change the fact that's who is president. I may not like the laws of Texas. It doesn't change the fact those are the laws of Texas. Now, I can break them. I can refuse to submit to them. But how's that going to go? Well, then come consequences, right? I make myself an enemy of the law. Like, it's not a hard concept to grasp. It's just a question of, okay, do we believe that Jesus is the king or not? If he is the king, what he says goes. End of discussion. It ultimately doesn't matter if we like it or not. The good news is, as we said in John 10, he's come that we would have life and have it abundantly. He's not a tyrant. He's a good king. He's a loving king. But Jesus is king. You and I just have to decide if we're going to submit to that or not. So why Jesus? Why? Well, he's God and he's king. And in him, we are filled. And the first part of chapter 10 is kind of this image that, that Paul has of like an empty jar that's just being filled with something. Right? The, the Bible understands, we as humans understand that, that there's, there's something missing in life. Right? It's why we're all looking for more. It's why there's ever a dissatisfaction in life. It's why we want more money or, or more toys or more trinkets or, or more relationships or more power or more fun, right? It's, it's, it's written in every movie and play, right? I was reading a book talking about, like, the, the theme song of the Little Mermaid, right? Her treasures of troves or whatever. What does she want? I want, okay. Right, she wants more. She wants more. Alexander Hamilton, fantastic Broadway show. Was never satisfied. He wanted more, right? That theme is in everything. Like, this is not good enough. I have to get to this. Right, that's in our hearts because there's something missing but what paul tells us what's missing in your life is not sexual fulfillment what's missing in your life is not discovering your true self and living that out what's missing in your life is not going from single to married from not going from married to having kids to grandkids what's missing in our life is not having that house or that new truck or the toys or the golf membership or what that's not what's missing in our life what's missing in our life is our connection with god is that we were created 
to live in a thriving relationship with him and by our sinful choices, by embracing self, we have separated that. And that's what is missing in our souls. I love these quotes from C.S. Lewis and St. Augustine. Lewis said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We've all, fill in the blank of what it is, tried to add something into our life thinking, okay, that'll finally turn the page. Only to add it and then wonder why it doesn't feel like the page has been turned. If I can just get to that ne next pay level, <laughs> I mean, this is exactly what I said to Stephanie even. If we just get there, then we can afford to pay for A, B, and C, and that will take care of all these stressors in our life. And she was like, yeah, but then we're just going to add stressors D, E, and F in. <laughs> and she's right. You know, like, we've all done it. And we wonder why it doesn't satisfy. Right? Ask anyone. I don't want to say anyone. There's probably, right? Most everyone who's had sex, hey, do you want to do that again? Most of them, yes. Why? Well, because that wasn't, that wasn't the end answer. Ask anyone who's been married for any length of time like hey like do you believe in like the one I'd be like no nah, it could have been could have been a number of people <laughs> it really could have because no one person is going to complete we're not Jerry Maguire right it's not going to complete us <laughs> it's not and we know that we know that the, this miraculous person is going to let us down sooner rather than later. Right? What we have to be filled with. Yo, what, what our souls are created for is a connection with God. It's to be intimately brought into oneness with Him. And Jesus is our answer even after we have all gone our own way. He is the one that fills us. So how does he do that? In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus spiritually cuts out our sinful flesh and replaces it with his spirit of holiness. I, I hate that God chose the word circumcision as an illustration because I think, let's be honest, we read it and we're like, why are we talking about this, right? In the Old Testament, it was an outward symbol of faith symbolizing a, a cutting off of the old and beholding new is here. In the New Testament, that outward symbol of faith becomes baptism, right? And he talks about this here, that we're baptized with Jesus. The old is dipped beneath the water, and the new is raised up. And so when the New Testament talks about circumcision, it's not talking about, as he says, circumcision of the flesh made with hands. It's talking about Jesus spiritually cutting out that sinful propensity that Adam and Eve gave us, cutting away that sinful nature that we were captive to and giving us a new spiritual nature that enables us to, uh, enables us to live after Jesus. Right? It's, it's a doctor going in and cutting out the cancer from a body so that the body can be poison-free. Right? How are we made right? Jesus spiritually comes and he cuts away spiritually our sinful nature 
so that we can, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, be a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Here's a new thriving person. And, and now what happens with that sinful nature that he cuts away? Could it, you know, morph into some like zombie type thing and come reattach to us? Jesus says, he says, you who are dead in your trespasses, God made al alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Well, how did he forgive us for our sinful nature? Right? How, how, does he, how does he remove that? It's one thing to be forgiven and brought back to neutral. It's another thing to be moved into the positive. H how is our record of debt completely removed and a new record given it says that jesus died on the cross it's more than just a story that's more than just a, a figure that we hold up that was the method by G by which jesus was punished for our sin that my list of sins against god every single time i embraced myself whether in action or even in just sinful desire and thought was recorded on this spiritual list and was nailed to the cross with Jesus. He was punished for my sins so that I don't have to be punished. His body was broken so that mine doesn't have to be. His blood was poured out so that my sins could be washed clean. My full record, our full record of debt. I've talked about this before. How many of you have ever been pulled over and been given a warning? Hold, hold it high. Be proud of that warning. How amazing is that feeling, right? Like every time I, I, I talk about it, it's a lot. It's been a while since I've been pulled over. I had a stretch where it was a lot. <laughs> and I'm like, it!" You see the lights in your mirror? Your heart's pounding, right? You know what I'm talking about? Your legs may be shaking a little bit. And then they come up and they're like, hey, you know, I'm just going to give you a warning today. I could kiss you on the mouth right now. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's a great feeling. And what happened? I saved 250 bucks. May the Lord grant us the grace to know the weight of our record of debt against him. That $250 is a joke compared to my record of sin against a holy God that keeps me separated from him. And Jesus, I'll take care of it. I'm convinced that, that what keeps us stuck in our growth is we just don't understand the grace of Jesus as fully as we need to. Sin will be disgusting to me when I'm floored by the grace that Jesus would take my full record of sin. Gosh, if y'all knew all that I've done, worse, all that I've thought... And yet God does. He sees and knows it all. Nothing's hidden from the holy God. And Jesus, full well knowing that I was a sinner, Romans 5 says, while I was still a sinner, Jesus full well knowing that, knowing that he would die for me, knowing that I would trust him, and then still pick that junk up again, knowing that he went to the cross and took my full record of debt. Where he, he cut out my sinful flesh. He didn't just leave it there for it to reattach. He took it and he nailed it to the cross. And then he was buried in the tomb. This is what Paul is telling us. He's buried in the tomb. Now, if Jesus is still dead, let's go home. We have no hope, right? Figure out what works best for you, and be nice to people, and let's go. But if Jesus rose from the dead, then he is God in body and flesh. He is the king, and he is worthy of our full submission. And because Jesus rose from the dead, he's able to leave our record of debts buried in the depths of hell, and he offers us his new life. He offers us the exchange. He will, not, he will take our sin away and he will give us his perfect record. And so now, even though I have gone my own way, I've embraced myself and I've rejected God and I've built up this mountain of debt against him, this mountain of sin against him, I can turn and face God and hand him the record of Jesus and God brings me in as his son. And God brings you in as his daughter. We have all chosen our own way in one way or the other. 
Every one of us, everyone we know, everyone we love. But Jesus has offered to remove the sin against us and to give us his new and eternal life. That is how Jesus said, I came that you have life and have it abundantly. Because he's offering us his life with God. Ephesians 1, 3 says that in Christ, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours. Like, just go and dream about that. What could that mean? I don't know, but it's all ours in Christ. Abundant life doesn't just happen in heaven one day. It starts now. That we can know God more today than we've ever known in our entire lives. And then get this, tomorrow, we can know him more. An ever-increasing abundance of joy, of life in him. And how does this happen? It's when we trust him when we repent and believe him, when we stop embracing ourselves and we say, I, I don't know how to get everything right in my life. I can't control this, but I'm going to embrace you, Jesus. And when I reach back here and I act like a knucklehead and I try to pick up my old ways, God, by your grace, you're going to keep me and hold on to me because you don't lose me. And, 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 and as best as I can, God, by your power, I'm, I'm going to walk by faith and I'm going to trust you and I'm going to return to you and I'm going to return to you and I'm going to return to you. Life as a Christian is this one journey of man just constant returning back to him, right? And getting closer and closer and closer along the way. Jesus is our only hope. He's our only hope. He's the only hope that forgives our sin and reconciles us. He's the only hope that, that will give us life when, when everything hits the fan and falls apart. He's our only hope. When the world crumbles around beneath us, it will. When the wind comes and the waves crash in, they will. If we have built our foundation on anything else, Jesus says it will crumble, but he is our hope. The question is, will we trust him? Will we repent of embracing ourselves but we will deny, will we deny ourselves and embrace Jesus? God, I pray and I hope that, that this, this is the story of Scripture. From Genesis to Judges, Isaiah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Paul, Peter, all of it. This is the story that we've all gone astray. And Jesus is our hope to restore us. And as we walk by faith as we received Christ Jesus we walk by faith we become rooted and built up in him and we're established in our faith from beginning to end he's our hope there is a hope when these topics are divisive and hurtful and painful when we've got abuse and trauma in our history and we don't know how to get to the next day or we don't know how to break free right? you don't have to have all the answers Jesus is our hope talked to someone recently and was like, I just I, I just feel like I, I'm going to keep falling down. I was like, you, you are. But Jesus is our hope to take us to that next step and that next one and that next one and that next one. He's not going to let you go. I pray that we will know him in more than just here, but our whole lives will trust him and submit to him. He's come that you would have life and have it abundantly. There is another option, but it's to steal, kill, and destroy. May we not follow the deception of the enemy, but may we trust and find life in Jesus. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.